time to bring the light. Hi there, and welcome to Bring to Light, the podcast where we have honest conversations about faith and life. I'm John. I'm Jade. And today, our third episode of season two is all about you, Jade. Ooh, all about me, my favourite subject. <laughs> so we're going to be speaking about uh, your journey of paralysis yeah. um, when you were a child, uh, talking about your faith and how your faith has sustained you during that, helped mm-hmm. with resilience. We'll look at kind of suffering probably a little bit as well and why this has happened to you. But before we get into that, we, we start every episode with some funny stories. And Jade, you've got some absolute belters. So Ooh, yeah. can you share some uh, of your funny moments of um, being, well, being in a wheelchair? Do you know what? It's actually really hard to pick a few because I've got so many stories. Like really people do. who know me are just like, Jade, how do you get into these situations? Um, I'll just uh, say whatever comes into my mind to begin with. Um, mm. One story. So, uh, yeah, I went on holiday one year when I was 18. I went on holiday to Ireland with a friend and uh, we were staying at this fancy hotel and it had like you know there's like revolving doors at the Mm. front and then you know usually they have like normal doors by the side but like I hadn't really used one of them before so I didn't know that there was like normal doors right by the side that makes sense so we like had a really long day traveling as well so I wasn't quite in my right mind and um I could see this like it's like a and it wasn't a revolving door that you have to push it was one that was like automatic automatic, okay Mm. so it's constantly moving so I was like flip I've got to time this right haven't I like (laughs) to make sure I get in and wheel at the right pace to be able to like make it through the other side so you don't hit the front but you don't get caught at the back exactly (laughs) okay so like my friend was a bit like oh shall I go in and ask if they've got another like way to get in and I was like no 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 I'll be fine just you know I I can do this is how hard can it be come on I haven't got a big wheelchair I can do this so um I kind of like did a little bit of like a run up to the door timed it right actually to be fair I got the timing really really good Mm. but what I didn't realize is the actual like compartments of the revolving door they're actually smaller than I realized so once I'd actually gotten in all of a sudden this horrible noise just like started like like vibrating it was like and I was like oh my gosh what's happening (laughs) and then all of a sudden it just stopped and I hadn't made it through to the other side yet the door stopped yeah the door stopped with me inside it and I couldn't go backwards and I couldn't go forwards and it's glass so everyone can see me in this hotel lobby and then all of a sudden I just see this manager spot me from behind the reception desk and he comes running over he's really flustered and he's saying to me what have you done what have you done and I'm like oh, I'm trying to get in but in, I can't but it's stuck and I felt really embarrassed deep down but you know when you're like just trying to act normal to get through it but yeah. inside you're dying because yeah. literally everybody it was a busy hotel lobby everyone was looking and then a crowd started and then people like, can't get in or out no and a crowd started forming oh what's happening this poor girl in a wheelchair stuck in like the revolving door like you know <laughs> spreads fast that kind of thing so then they were like, maybe we can like, maybe we need to call like the fire brigade. I'm thinking, no, 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 please don't call the fire brigade. Like, let's amazing. not make this any worse than it already is. And then a few men in the lobby were like, oh, I think if we like push it, we'll be able to get her out. Like, I, I think we can do it. So I had about five men from the hotel lobby pushing the door and like, eventually it did actually go so like it started to move so I did actually make it into the hotel I was obviously really flustered by this point being like oh thank you so much like oh I don't know what I was thinking huh and this hotel manager was like so annoyed with me he was like you do not use the revolving door and I was like sorry I was like I didn't know how else to get in he was like follow me and he literally took two steps and opened the normal door which is right by the revolving door he was like you use this and like (laughs) he was actually quite rude to me but I think I'd really like scared him and I was like oh I'm sorry (laughs) because you were young you probably thought it was like was it a bit of a prank yeah because I was like 18 and stuff and like I was just like oh sorry next time one of your classic pranks yeah (laughs) and then like but I've got a bit of like a sick sense of humor as well so like every time I went down to the lobby to like leave the hotel I would like wheel up to like the revolving door and then turn last minute and use the the normal door (laughs) and I could just see him watching me every single time yeah so also tell us um tell us the story about you being shopping and the the guy oh this has happened to me quite a lot so if you're in a wheelchair 
there's this thing with people in wheelchairs where people who don't know us feel like they can just move us so that is an actual thing where like in the past I've literally been like doing something and someone's just like moved me out of the way when I've been in the middle of something and it's, it's probably the psychology of like a shopping trolley yeah do you know what I mean where you're like oh someone's shopping trolley's there and there's no one attending it so I'm just going to move it because I need yeah. to get and to they don't aisle. talk to you it's not like they acknowledge you and go oh, yeah. excuse me you're in the way do you mind can you move yourself or can I help you or no literally they'll just move move you but on this particular occasion, I was I was in boots and I was in like a chemist shop and I was like looking at, uh, I think, makeup or something. So I was like having a good browse. And then all of a sudden I just start wheeling and I'm not pushing myself. And I look <laughs> behind me and there's this boy. I don't I don't know him. He's like similar age to me. even. I think we were both like in our like late teens or whatever. And I'm like, excuse me and stuff, because I'm just like, what do I say to him? And he looks down, he jumps out of his skin, <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I thought you were my nan. And I was like, what? <laughs> he's like, no, no, like, I d- my nan's in a wheelchair as well, and she's in here. And I, was, I just didn't look properly, I just saw the wheels and, like, just started pushing, and I was like oh my gosh like he was really embarrassed but I was also a bit like come on I'm not your nan (laughs) Um, so like that those kind of things happen quite regularly it's a bit like it's a bit like when you if you like when you call your teacher mum or whatever yeah or like when you like think the person that you're talking to is still behind you and you turn around and talk to a stranger yeah it's that kind of thing of like he's at the corner of his eyes in a wheelchair and just assumed yeah exactly And then probably I'll, I'll say a quick yeah. another. Tell quick us, story. tell us some of your like injury stories. Yeah, um, I mean, I've broken my leg without realizing it. I've, how did that happen? I was just uh, thrown from my chair. Um, I hit a kid, but my friend was pushing me. I hit a kid, fell onto the kid, and they lifted me back in my chair. And I felt weird, but I can't feel pain in my legs. So mm. I checked to see if it was bending normally, and it was. So, mm. I, but I felt a bit like weird, but I thought I was probably just shock from yeah. like, you know, being thrown at my chair. And then I went to a friend's house and I watched a movie and I was sat there cross-legged watching this movie and I started to feel really ill. Mm. And I said, I've, I've got to go home. I don't feel right. I thought, am I coming down with like a cold or like a flu? It was really odd. Yeah. So I was feeling like shaky and weird. So I drove home. It was late at night. I drove home and like I couldn't concentrate on the road because I was going into shock. I didn't mm. realise that at the time, but my body was going into shock made it home and realized my leg was like double the size Mm. I was like that is not normal um and then the next day went to A&E they everyone was saying to me oh we don't think it's broken even the doctor's like I don't think it's broken I think it's fluid buildup from you knocking it when you fell out Mm. but we'll give you an x-ray anyway and it was really busy that day in A&E and I thought oh my dad was like should we just go home you haven't broken your leg unfortunately we did stay I was like no dad we've waited this long and I just always remember going in getting the x-ray done and then overhearing the two radiographers talking amongst themselves they didn't realize I could hear and all I heard was oh my gosh look at look at that no wonder her leg's so swollen and I'm thinking oh flip what have I done I wheel up to my dad I said dad I really think I've broken my leg I think I've done something and he was really like oh really Anyway, we see the doctor half an hour later and he's like, yeah, you've got, you've broken your leg in two places. It's, uh, you've got... Your shin, yeah. Your, my, so my, my tibia had a spiral fracture, which means the whole bone is like spiraled in the fracture mm. and it was just being held on by one small bit of bone. So if wow. I'd applied any more pressure to my leg, the bone would have broken fully and come through my skin. <laughs> so when I was sat cross-legged the night before at my oh, friend's house, I... It, it literally would have been agony if I could have felt it. So yeah, I'm always getting into those kind of situations. I've ironed my thighs um, and had to have skin grafts, had third degree burns, had to have skin grafts because I couldn't feel the steam going through the ironing board. Um, and that was a bit of a shock. Uh, I and remember you said you looked down and it was just bubbling. My legs were bubbling. I mean, it was... And you couldn't feel it? So no, like, oh, I was no. shocked. I was I was rushing. I was late. <laughs> oh, I was meeting a gosh. friend, text my friend, it's be insane. five minutes ironed my dress and thought flip the steam coming out of this iron is like a lot and then I moved the ironing board out the way and looked down and my legs were bubbling I was like flip the steam must have come through the ironing board straight onto my thighs um and so obviously I had to like get an a, ambulance like a cheese supreme pizza oh it was genuinely it wasn't pleasant <laughs> and then I got to hospital and they all were like it was quite amusing for them because they were there I mean I don't want to be too graphic but they have to cut the dead skin away 
and um usually they sedate you or they like yeah put you under because it's so painful and I'm there chatting away to them as they're doing it and they were like this is so weird for us because like you should be in agony right now and you're here asking us about how long we've worked here for like you know like it's so weird and I was like oh I just feel so stupid because I uh, one of the one of the kind of doctors came in and he said to me tongue-in-cheek but he said oh you're naked ironing girl I will clarify I wasn't naked I just didn't have any trousers on at the time when I was ironing so thank mm. I mean that was a good thing because if I would have I wouldn't have realized I'd burnt myself yeah and that would have been a whole other like I guess the fabric would have like, melted into the and it oh, it would burn. have been I would have ripped my skin off I mean it would have been brutal yeah. so yeah um I had to have skin grafts on both my thighs uh, for that um so yeah, you get in a lot of accidents when you're paralyzed. People don't realize it. When you can't feel pain, you you just don't know when you're hurting yourself. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, John, so many times mm. there's blood on the floor and you're like, why is there blood on the floor? And I'm like, oh, have I cut myself? Yeah. And then I look down and I'm like, oh, I've cut my foot and I have no idea how I've done yeah. it. Light bulb. So Jade, you shared a few stories there of accidents you've had since becoming disabled. How did you become disabled? Like, was that an accident or like what happened? Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so it was back in 2003 um, and it was four weeks before my 13th birthday. It was mm. May the 13th to be exact. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it, it was just a normal day, really. Um, I'd been at school, I'd come home and my dad said, oh, do you want to come to the park with me and your sister? I've got a sister who's nine years younger than me. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, sure. I, you know, ran to the park, felt absolutely fine, went on the swings. And then, um, my dad was like, oh, we probably should head home. I jumped off the swing and as I hit the ground, I just felt pains shooting through my thighs. Mm. It was really odd. Um, so I started to walk and I felt really weird. Um, and I saw, um, I, I, well first of all I just lay down in the grass and the grass was wet because it had been raining and my dad was like come on Jade get get up off the grass stop messing about um so I managed to get myself up and I saw a bench across the park and I thought oh, I just need to sit down mm. so I started walking towards that bench and it was li- literally with each step I could just feel the power draining out of my legs it was a bit like a puppet like I just couldn't coordinate my legs properly I managed to do it but it was really hard work um, and I sat down on that bench and that literally was the last time I ever walked, which is weird to say, Crazy. but I sat down on the bench and at that point I could still move my legs a bit, but they felt weak. Like I did, they didn't feel strong. Mm. And my dad was like, Jade, what's going on? Come on, we need to go home. And I was like, I can't get up. I was like, I cannot, I literally don't feel strong enough. I can't weight bear on my legs. So he was like, oh, okay, like starting to realise that there was something wrong. And um, he, thankfully, the park was really close to our house. He said, I'm going to have to piggyback you back to the house. And if, you, if you're not better in 20 minutes, I'll take you to A&E because this is, this is strange. So he um, took me back home and there was no improvement. I just couldn't get up off the sofa. So we went to A&E and... Um, just didn't know what was going on really I couldn't walk so they got me a wheelchair um and they were like you know they did x-rays blood tests um and everything and and funnily enough the the nurses in A&E didn't actually believe me they thought I was making it up for attention Mm. so one of them even grabbed me under the arms and said come on let's just try and get you up and she lifted me up under my arms and then she let go thinking I would save myself and I literally dropped to the floor um that's so negligent I know I mean shocking really um and I'm thinking yeah I just love to spend my evenings in A&E like you Mm. know um so I think once that happened they started to take me more seriously because they were like Mm. okay you they could tell that my reflexes weren't there and I've it's so hard not to save yourself if you can um so they didn't quite know what was going on and initially they said to me oh, we think maybe you've trapped a nerve. You know, you were on the swing, weren't you? When you jumped off the swing, and maybe it was when you hit the ground, you've jarred a nerve in your back. And so that's affecting, like, your feeling and your your motion in your legs. So that should, it should come back. So mm. um, because I hadn't improved, they were like, we'll admit you into the children's ward. 
and we'll see how you get on. And by the morning, you know, you should be back to normal. So they admitted me and it was around midnight by this point and my mum stayed with me and they kept using like this pin on my toes and they kept like pricking my toes to see if I could feel it and I was like no I can't can't feel it Mm. um at that point I could like very slightly move my legs like very very slightly but you know not much and then over the course of that night um my I always remember my mum actually put her hand down on the bed and I'd wet the bed and I hadn't realized Mm. it and um she's like jade did you need the toilet and i was like no and she's like she she went and told the nurse and then they were like really concerned that obviously i had no idea i'd wet the bed and you weren't a chronic be- bedwetter at 12 were you <laughs> no no it wasn't this normal was it was unusual <laughs> so with that um they sent me down for an emergency mri and i don't know whether you've ever been in one of those machines but they're like they're really scary like it's like if you've got claustrophobia, like they're horrible and they're really noisy. Mm. And I remember it was about three in the morning and I was, I was in one of them. I'd never been in one of them before. Um, and I just remember like, I remember literally singing worship songs to myself because I was really scared and like just needed something to like soothe me. I was like, even in that moment, I was like looking to God to be like, Mm. help me. I don't know what's going on here. Um, so yeah, I I had that done and then the results came back normal, which was really frustrating. They were like, well, everything looks normal. and um i'd say for the first six weeks they had no idea what was wrong with me yet they didn't know whether it was going to travel up me so you were in hospital that whole time oh yeah yeah Yeah. they didn't know if i was going to get worse they didn't know if i was going to start to lose power in my arms they didn't know um because all the everything they were testing me for was coming back normal so i I had every test under the sun you can you can imagine i had it done Mm. to me um and then it was only after about six weeks that they did another MRI and by that time they could see damage on my spinal cord Mm. because what happens with um with brain or spinal cord injuries sometimes um injuries don't show up straight away even though there is damage there it takes a while for it to show up I don't know why that is but that's what they said to me um and uh they said to me that they it, what what they were going to diagnose me with was so rare that I had more chance of winning the lottery mm. than getting this, and it was called acute transverse myelitis, so a bit of a mouthful. Um, and uh, basically, what that means, or what they think it means, because it's so rare, they can't actually they haven't been able to observe enough people with it to give a definitive um, answer or cause for it. But Mm. what they think it is, they think it's autoimmune. So they think that I had a cold virus in my body and it was located near my spinal cord and my immune system went to attack the virus but got confused and my immune system started to attack my spinal cord. Mm. So when I felt the pain in my thighs when I jumped off the swing that was when my immune system started to attack my spinal cord. That's why I felt pain because of my nerves were being damaged at that point. Mm. Um, And then what happens is when your immune system attacks your spinal cord, it swells up. So when it swelled up, it started to rub against the vertebrae in my back. Mm. So what happens then is the vertebrae starts to damage your spinal cord. So it starts to rub away at your spinal cord because your spinal cord is a bit like a wire. You have the, the, the plastic insulation around the, the metal, don't you, in your wires? Well, the plastic, it's not plastic, but the equivalent on my spinal cord, the insulation, the myelin was rubbed away. Mm. So now when signals go from my brain down to my legs, the majority of those signals are not reaching my legs because they're coming out of the hole where so the like, insulation like, has been rubbed away. So like when your iPhone charger like frays basically yes. and eventually it stops working. Yeah, it just stops working. That's exactly what's happened to my wow. spinal cord. And uh, the inflammation can stay for a long, long time. And with some people, when the, ins- when the inflammation decreases, they start to improve. Mm. So they kept saying to me, 
just keep trying to wiggle your toes yeah. every morning like a few times a few times during the day just keep trying to wiggle your toes because that will be the first sign that you're improving so the, initially there was a lot of hope for me because I was young I hadn't had any other health conditions um so they were very kind of hopeful that I would have if not a full recovery I would have you know, a decent recovery. Mm. I remember them saying to me, oh, you know, you might walk with a bit of a a limp. You might need a bit of a walking aid. And I remember being horrified at that thought. Mm. Like, what? Like, cringe. Like, I'm 13. Like, you're telling me I need a walking stick. I mean, now I'd love to walk with a walking (laughs) stick. But at that time, I was just like, ah, no, that's awful. Mm. Um, And then, yeah, basically, after a few months of zero improvement, they basically just had to say to me I always remember they they came in one morning and they'd already spoken to my parents so they already knew but they just came in a bunch of doctors um, gathered around my bed and the consultant said to me Jade look it's been you know nearly three months now and you haven't shown any recovery Um, do you know what that means and like I'd already I'd already realised and come to terms in my own head that, okay, I'm not getting better. And I remember saying to her, I just went, yeah, I'm not going to walk again. And I just remember the whole room just being silent. It was almost like they all held their breath as they were like waiting for me to react. You know, I think they thought I was going to burst into tears, scream. I mean, I don't know. I think they were looking for a dramatic reaction. And I just, I was just calm. You know, I was just like, yeah, I'm not going to walk again. And, uh, and they were like, right, okay. I think they were a bit taken aback by how calm I was. Why Why were you so calm? Um, I think it was just, I couldn't change it. I knew I couldn't change it. And I'd, maybe it's my personality, I don't know. Like, obviously my faith did come into play because I knew that God was with me and there was comfort in that, even though I didn't understand what was going on. I definitely felt like knowing that I wasn't just left abandoned, that God mm-hmm. was, it was, you know, present in it. You know, I had my whole church praying for me. I had, you know, my, my parents would regularly pray for me. Um, I was baptized at the age of 11. I already had my own faith by that mm. point. So um, I think, I think my faith definitely, but like, uh, yeah, I just thought, well, I can't change this. And there's what's the point in, screaming about it I don't know it's funny Mm. looking back I can't really say why I I responded so calmly it wasn't that it wasn't hard because it was um but I think I just already it wasn't a surprise to me I'd already kind of I was waiting for them to say because it'd been you know three months is quite a long time um and really that's just where my story began really because then it was just like okay well how do we what does life look like now I can't walk you know I can't live in hospital for all my life like Mm. what does what does what does going home look like because my home wasn't accessible yeah um you know uh what does it mean for me going back to school what does it mean for me to like yeah have any kind of life really so tell us a bit about that then tell us when how long were you in hospital for and when you did get home what did that look like I was in hospital for about four and a half months. Wow. Um, I just lived there. Um, And it's funny because I look back on that with like uh, actually quite a lot of fond memories because the nurses were brilliant and I had a lot of like just a lot of fun with them. And Mm. I think because I was almost like a resident there, they treated me differently to the other the other kids because I was like there they knew me so well you know it wasn't like I'd just broken a leg and I was in for a week and gone. It was you know I was there for a long time. Um, but yeah, I guess the first thing was, you know, we knew that we would eventually need an extension on my home because my bedroom was upstairs and the bathroom was upstairs. Mm -hmm. So to go home, I had to have my bed in the living room and I had to use a commode. So, because I couldn't get upstairs to use the toilet. Mm -hmm. Um, so obviously at 13 years old, that's exactly what you want, you know, (laughs) be in the front room, like there and you're like in your bed, you know, people pop over the house and you're there like, hi. Welcome to my bedroom. Like, just going to the don't, don't, lift the, don't lift the lid or the commode. Like, you know, I mean, awkward, yes. But do you know what? Um, my family's got quite a good sense of humour. So we would use that a lot to 
get through it, I think. Mm. Um, so that had to happen. Plenty and, of games have hide the commode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, um, and then eventually it was just, we couldn't keep living like that. So my dad actually had to like carry me up the stairs every night to go to bed. And mm. it was ridiculous because when you become paralyzed as well, you have to relearn how to do everything. So your balance, your center of balance goes because I couldn't so even, true. I couldn't even sit up on my own. Yeah. I would fall over. Um, so I used to have physio where they would sit me on the end of a bed and they'd throw a ball at me and I would have to try and catch it and keep my balance. Mm. Um, so I couldn't dress myself. Um, I had to learn to use a toilet again. Um, literally how to get in a wheelchair, how to push a wheelchair, mm. like how to manage that. Um, I remember being so proud the first time I like got out of a chair wheelchair onto a bed and changed my clothes it was like huge yeah, sure. it was almost like becoming a baby again yeah well it's like well, it's like elijah like our five-year-old he's so happy like in fact it's probably about a year ago but he was so happy when he like chosen his like dressed himself basically yeah without um, asking for help and just was yeah. able to do it so it's like rewinding the clock like eight years yeah. for you like nine years or whatever yeah and it's that a time where you you want to have your most independence like yeah. you know at 13 it's when you start to break away from your family a bit more um so it was a it was hard in that regard well, to tell us a little bit about that then because i think like it's such a good point like having it happen during your teenage years and things it's like when you're most self-conscious anyway like mm. i remember being like 13 and like getting on the bus and there's like a girl i fancy or whatever and like, i've got a spot and mm. i'm like my life's gonna end <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. gosh like, i can't believe so that she's gonna see my spot or whatever <laughs> like and obviously your situation is so much higher status and so much more vulnerable yeah it was really hard go I went back to the same school I was in before it happened to me they tried to get me to to go to a special school but I was adamant no I was going back to you know the school where all my friends were but it was really hard because I was the only person in a wheelchair in the whole school and it was a really big secondary school Mm. of hundreds of kids and I was like, I just stood out, didn't I? And it was all this intrigue. Ironically. Yeah, ironically I stood (laughs) out, yeah. And, um, you know, like, oh, like, there's all this hype, like, oh, this girl's in a wheelchair, like, what happened? Like, I'd have, like, kids from all the different years coming up to me, oh, what happened? Why are you in a chair? And, like, it was just a lot of attention. And, like, it was really hard. I remember I just got to a point where I just started making up stories because I was so fed up of telling people. Like, (laughs) people feel like, this is one thing I want to say, when you're disabled, people feel like they have the right to ask you like really personal questions like when they don't Mm. know you so like like kind of why are you in a wheelchair I know for them it's just that it's just curiosity but for me as a disabled person like that is Mm. the source of probably one of the most traumatic things that has ever happened to me and it's easier for you now because it's been 18 years (gasps) and stuff but when it's raw when it's raw it's really tough when every second of the day you're getting asked about it from people who don't know you at all they're not even asking you what your name is yeah the first thing they're asking you is why are you in a chair yeah what happened and so you you came up when you say you came up with different stories, was it a bit like the Joker in Dark Knight, where he's like, "You want to know how I got these scars?" <laughs> and it's like a different story every time. Yeah, basically, I remember one of <laughs> one of the stories was I was on holiday and I'd got attacked by a shark. Um, <laughs> one was I jumped off a, a roof. I mean, it was all, and people were coming up to me going, "Like, did this happen to you?" And there's some of the stories I hadn't even made up myself like other people were making up stories for me and I was like no that didn't happen no like <laughs> I didn't steal a car and have a car crash and then like a police chase yeah you know it's like I didn't even make that one up who's making these stories up who's you telling you you're on police camera action <laughs> exactly so like all of that was really hard but like I would say like becoming paralyzed or like having a life-changing event happen like that Mm. it's a lot like it's a lot like going through grief like losing somebody yeah i'd say because people often like think oh gosh you're coping well and you think well yeah because this is my life now and initially when it happened you you do grieve you grieve what you've lost you grieve your future and what could have been and what would have been 
and which is a really the person hard... you would have been if this yeah. hadn't happened well, to and you. And it's a really hard thing to grieve because you almost don't know what you are grieving. No. Like, so you're almost grieving so many possibilities. Yeah. Like, it's more than grieving, like, the reality of what's happened. It's yes. grieving the reality of what could have happened, but there's infinite, like, variables there. Yeah. So it must have been really hard. And undoubtedly, they're always, like, you know positive you know you always think your life would have been amazing if this yeah. hadn't happened to you so like I, I probably would have been a supermodel millionaire Beyonce. you know uh, <laughs> yeah. if this hadn't happened to me <laughs> yeah. so you you know you're grieving that and so initially like it is hard but then obviously as the as you come to accept your situation you're not thinking about it every moment of the day like now I would say most of the time I forget I'm even in a chair because it's my life now. So often mm. then when, when people do point it out, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm in a chair. Like it must be weird for them because I'm just me and this is my life and I'm not thinking about it. It's not at the forefront of my mind. Mm. But then there will be moments where it will feel really fresh again. Like it'll be of like, oh, we're all going out to this place and it's not accessible and I'm the only yeah. one who can't do something or, or I feel left out or isolated. Mm. Or, you know, I go to a gig and the steps and I can't get up them. And there are those moments where it really hits home. Mm. And I'd say it's like very similar to what people describe grief as because I've never lost anyone close to me. But it's that kind of thing of like you learn to live with it and you start to live your life again. And there are moments when you miss that person you've lost or you miss what would have been but you you know you continue with your life and there's still joy there in your life you know it's not completely dominated by this event that's happened to you light bulb so jade you've um, shared about kind of mourning some of the things that could have been and it must have been hard working out um as you were coming to terms with this and growing into a woman like what 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 you inevitably were going to have to miss out on but what things maybe you didn't need to miss out on. For instance, obviously, we met at uni. Like, talk to us about uni. Was that daunting? Because you moved from Swansea to London to go to university. Like, how was that for your family? How was that for you? Um, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, yeah. I'd say th- that was such a big step for me, um, going to uni, because I think my parents, particularly my dad, bless him, I think thought maybe I'd live with them for the rest of my life. And I don't think he like saw that even as a bad thing. I think he's like, Aww. oh, we'll look after you. Don't worry. Being protective, yeah. like loving dad. Yeah. yeah, definitely. But obviously that, you know, I still had my whole life ahead of me and I was like, I am not going to be like living in my parents' spare room for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was a big decision, but it kind of, I'd gotten to a point where I'd learnt to drive which, yes, I can drive. I have hand controls. Mm. Um, so that brought a lot of independence. I'm saying, ah, like I'm an audience, like I don't know, <laughs> yeah, like, like yeah. we don't share Like I car. don't drive you around. Like. <laughs> That's how you do that. I was always wondering, but I never wanted to ask. <laughs> so like I had that as like, that was a big help for me feeling more independent. And then um, like just, uh, I, I took a year where I like volunteered for my church and like, I felt like that was another step for me of like just being independent and not relying on my parents as much. But I think it was a bit out of the blue for them, but it was just such a God thing really, because um, I think it just came up online, London School of Theology. I'd done really well in theology for my um, A-levels. So I I scored... A-star? 100%? Basically, I actually got 100% in one exam, which for me is like, I am going to brag about it because I'm Mm. not super academic. So I'm like, yes, I got 100%. (laughs) So I knew it was something I wanted to pursue. And I'd also, like like I said, worked for for my local church for a year. So I very much felt like maybe called towards kind of ministry, maybe, but definitely wanted to pursue kind of theology. Um, and yeah, London School of Theology came up online and it was just, I was just really drawn to it. And at the time I didn't know how it was going to work because how could I move away from my parents and everyone I know to a place where I don't have a carer? I mean, is it even accessible? I mean, there's all these questions, but I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go to the open day. Mm. and just see I was just open to it I was like I'll just see and it was really interesting because we went to the open day and they had literally said they said to me we have literally just got a disabled shower Mm. and bathroom literally put in like literally a few months ago um before then it wouldn't have even been accessible for me to even just would they would have ruled me out because it just wasn't accessible so like we've just had that done and we've got a room directly opposite that's free 
And it was all kind of like, oh, okay. Like all of a sudden, like things were kind of like becoming more real. Um, and so I got in and, and things. And I think, I think, yeah, my parents were a bit like nervous, you know, me going so far away, but I just really felt called by God. I just felt like, well, God, mm. you're opening the doors here. I have the desire to go you're making the way, you're practically making the way. Mm. Like there's nothing really to stop me except my own fear. Yeah. And uh, I did have a bit of a wobble one day when it was maybe a month before I was due to go. Mm. And I just thought, oh, actually, can I do this? Yeah, sure. I had a day where I just felt really nervous and anxious and like, oh, am I like living in a fantasy world where I think I can do this, but actually like I can't. So uh, this is a really cool story. Do you mind sharing this? Will you tell us about oh, yeah, what, what yeah. changed that? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had kind of a bit of a wobble and I was like, oh no, I'm going to have to like talk to my mum and dad and like tell them that I can't go and it's just too big and it's too much. And like, it was nice to pretend for a while that I could be normal and go and study. But the reality is like, it's, it's, it's just not going to work. And, um, I just, yeah, I felt a real, real heaviness over me. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then I just felt like, as I, I just, I'm going to pray because like, God, if you want me to go, like, you're going to have to like, you're going to have to help me here because at the moment mm. I just can't see how it's going to happen. So I remember praying and just as I, as I prayed, I just felt the whole like mood of the mood of the room lift. Mm. Um, I just can't describe it any other way. And um, I remember I just sat on my bed and like literally the whole mood of the room lifted. And th- now the next part, some people, you're not going to believe me, but <laughs> it, it's true. I was there and basically two angels were in my room now I know to some people that's mental and they don't believe in the supernatural but I'm telling you it either happened or I am mental I'm literally because I really believe it happened but two angels were in the room they didn't talk to me they were just um people always ask me what do they look like and you know like they want all the details but they were just it was weird I could see through them but I could see them it's really hard to describe very tall very big very calm I didn't talk to them um but they like anointed me so like they poured I felt literally like liquid running down my head Mm. um so and it felt so real that I actually touched my head because I was fully expecting there to be like liquid so for people who don't know what anointing is it's just God's blessing essentially yeah God's God's blessing but also like specific purpose specific it's like equipping you to like do it almost Mm. and um basically yeah so that that as that happened I just felt all this strength go into me and like this resolve and I just knew that like I was meant to go and I felt like God say to me you know I've called you to go I've made a way and you're going Mm. to go basically and I just felt such a peace about it um I can't tell you how long it went on for because it was such a weird experience that time almost stopped in it and Mm. um but after that I just I never questioned it ever again. I just was like, yeah, I'm going. Um, and, and it was amazing. And it all, and like, not to sound like really trite, but it all worked out, you know, like I went, I had an amazing three years at uni. Like I met amazing people and I had an amazing experience. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) And, um, this isn't about me, this episode, Jade, stop it. Light bulb. So, Jade, you went to London School of Theology, where we met. It used to be called London Bible College. Like, tell us a bit about your faith, and in particular, tell us about how your faith has um, helped you be resilient through this trial. Yeah, I'd say my faith has helped me in regards to knowing that um, even though I'm disabled, that I'm still fully loved by God, and I still... Mm. God still has a plan for my life. And you still like, have value. I still have value, yeah. Like, mm. um, And I think a lot of people get their self-worth from, like, what they can do and, yeah. like, what they look like. And um, people like to project this image of themselves as having, like, this, you know, really, like, great life. Yeah. And I think 
for me obviously being disabled and when you're visibly disabled as well it's like your vulnerability your vulnerability is out there straight away for everyone to see so people know straight away by looking at me oh gosh like her life isn't perfect Mm. like gosh you know her life must be tough at times and that's so true Um, because i think lots of people have struggles like their biggest struggle is private so like their biggest struggle is like maybe depression but it's like it's it's not necessarily private sorry it's um it's invisible yeah or like their biggest struggle is a porn addiction invisible or their biggest struggle is like they're going for a divorce at the moment but unless you know them super well you can't see that as they walk down the street yeah. whereas for you straight away everybody yeah. whether you know them or not is aware of probably yes. what your biggest struggle is and, and it can be hard then not to feel like you're defined by it yeah. you know the wheelchair girl the disabled girl because that's the primary thing people notice when they first meet you because it's mm. different mm. but for me my faith was like no you're like you're more than that you're not just you're not just boil you don't just boil down to being a disabled person like Mm. you know um god this didn't just this may have felt really random but god's still gonna and it was random what happened to me like you know people say well is there a purpose in it like do i think that god wanted this to happen Mm. well i wouldn't say god wanted this to happen i would say god allowed it to happen because bad things do happen in this world because of free will because things don't work perfectly anymore and that's mm. our and that's that's our bodies you know there's you know our bodies malfunction mm. my, like mind malfunction we all know sooner or later every single person on this earth's body will give up eventually yes so um so yeah regardless of you know my body not working um I still knew that, yeah, like I said, God had a plan for me. And actually I have a proverb. It's one of my favorite proverbs. And um, it's Proverbs 18, verse 14. And it's the human spirit can endure in sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. And I feel like my body has been like, you know, has been through so much sickness and it has been like, you know, through a lot physically but mm. god hasn't allowed my spirit to be crushed yeah that's um, because i have hope and i guess that's what it all comes down to is i still have hope i still have hope that good things are going to happen in my future mm. and they did you know i got married i had children i made amazing friends i've had i've traveled i've had amazing experiences mm. um and i feel like i'm using my gifts that god's given me mm. and I, and i just know that um you know even if I'm disabled for the rest of my life, even if I never walk again on earth, I know that when I go to heaven, I will be able to walk again, like mm. for eternity. It's a future and hope. It's a future hope. It's like this isn't the this doesn't have the final say. This is such a small part of my actual life in regards to like forever mm. that can I cope with not walking for the rest of my human like earthly life? Yeah, I can because it's actually not that bad. Like, mm. um, you know, I think people make people use things as crutches to get through life, like to make them feel like they're in control and think if I have a good like career, then like mm. I'm I've I've got value and like I'm I'm doing something. I'm or like if I'm good looking and like people really admire how like good looking I am, then mm. that will also like, you know, help me in my life and, and give me worth and value and happiness and stuff and all these different like superficial things. But actually mm. like when you have such a traumatic thing happen to you, it actually becomes a blessing because I didn't have any of those crutches anymore to use. Like, yes, you know, I'm not saying I'm ugly, but the disability, if you're going to look at it from a critical perspective, is not the desired body type or the desired lifestyle. Mm. You know, most people, like, want to be well. That is what you, like, you know, you kind of... um, want to go for so i feel like i was just freed from all of that Mm. um and and from all the pretense and i I think that's that's so powerful and i think it it begs that question like who are we doesn't it it begs Mm. that question like who are we at our core like like you say if you get the desirable body type taken from you are you still you yeah if you get if if you if your legs are taken like what makes you you and what gives you value um and and you spoke in last week we chatted with lauren window a little bit about singleness and you made a really interesting parallel in that episode but i I think it bears repeating you spoke about the, the the temptation and the danger of having an idol uh talk to us a little bit about that like what is an idol and and how do you think maybe people idolize health yeah i think um with an idol your happiness is tied to it mm. so for example it could be 
health or it could be um like romance like romantic relationships Mm. but it's basically the kind of the thought of as long as i have that i can be happy and if i don't have that i can't be happy and so people can often think i i get people say i well not as much recently but in the past i've had people say to me I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you cope. Or if I, if I was in your position, I, I just don't think I could do it. I just don't. I, <laughs> Which, what know. does that mean? What, you're going to kill yourself? Well, exactly. Right. And like, are you trying to say to me, like, my life's not worth living? Like, I should not yeah. bother getting out of bed? Like, but it's because <laughs> they they idolise health. They, they genuinely think, oh, if that was taken from me, nothing else would be worth living for. Yeah. But I'm living for God. I'm mm. living for his plan in my life and to see his kingdom come. And so that can't be taken from me. Yeah. Like, you know, my health can be taken from me. Um, mm. But that's okay because my my happiness isn't tied to that or my self-worth or my value or my my purpose. Yeah, and that, that ties in really nicely with what you said about like a crushed spirit who can bear, yes. or who can go through a crushed spirit. And there's another great verse that you love that you've mentioned to me that's like, um, without hope, people perish. Yes. And it is that idea of like, if you have nothing like what do you get out of bed for in the morning and and I want to challenge that for like anyone who's listening and things to think like if you're not if you don't have faith like why do you get out of bed in the morning and can that thing be taken from you yeah because if it can and that's the sole reason you're living for then what are you going to do when that goes and I think this your story and I think stories of suffering lots of people point to them as a reason why we shouldn't have faith because how can a loving God allow this to happen and I'm going to ask for your response on that in a minute but I want to chuck in there that I hear well-known atheists like Ricky Gervais being like you've got one life and that's all you um, have so like but isn't that that isn't that what makes it beautiful and that's why we should really make the most of it and I think yeah it's, it's an interesting point but I think what about for the people who have that one life strip so badly from them like what about the people who are living in like what about for the the people whose husband cheats on them and uh leaves them and their child dies and then they're going through cancer or whatever it's like it's all very well saying like your life is like you've got this one he often says things like you've got this one beautiful life and like live it to the full and things and you think but what if your life isn't beautiful or Mm. what if there's a huge stage of it at least where it's hard to find that hope or the very things that you thought were going to make it beautiful are taken from you Mm. i think actually what you spoke about of like having this future hope for one firstly recognizing that you are not your legs or you are not your physical health Mm. like you are more than that is Mm. important but i think second like we have a soul we have a spirit Mm. um but secondly knowing that there will be a day when everything is uh, goes back to how we know deep down it should be in the first place mm. is a beautiful thing to hang on to and gives you purpose in the here and now as well light bulb so jade um, we're going to ask you some more questions at the end because we've got a few listener questions that have been submitted but one of the big ones you i know you get a lot is how can a loving god allow this to happen mm. what, what do you say to that when you're asked Yeah, that seems to be like a big issue for some people as in like, well, if there's a God and if he's loving, then like, why does, why do bad things happen? Mm. And I'd say, well, obviously as Christians, we know that God created the world perfectly um, and we sinned, we messed it up, we went our own way. And because of that, we have now like conflict, we have relationship dysfunctions and we have, you know, natural disasters and Mm. we have viruses and sickness and things and we're living in that you used an analogy Um, once with me that said like it's a bit like a computer virus yeah it's a bit like a computer virus you know um once it gets infected it it corrupts all your files like all of a sudden things don't work how they should be how they Mm. were designed to work the amazing thing about God is is that he didn't leave us there on our own. He didn't leave us in that to have to deal with the consequences of our sin. Mm. Um, you know, like through Jesus dying on the cross, like he's reconciled with us and actually like he's dealt with that. And so because God never promises us that we won't go through bad things, you know, I think it's what what is mm. your expectation? Because are your expectations wrong? I think a lot of people have this expectation that God will 
always you know make sure that you have like the life you want and you'll never go through anything bad but that's just not realistic you know but god you know if you read your bible you know the bible is full of people who are struggling who are going through awful situations Mm. but god is with them and even through the bad god is god is bringing good out of bad situations Mm. um and there's something really beautiful about that and it's redeeming that's great. I, I want to go back to you just said that God, uh, I love it as well. God doesn't exist to give you the life you want. And I think like God loves us and God wants us to follow our gifts and our dreams and partner with us. But there's a tension there in that, like, as you say, he doesn't, he's not a genie. And there's it, almost, sometimes it's a bit of a gospel of like self-help where like God just exists to fulfill your wildest dreams rather than God being the overall architect of the universe. And he is the king of his kingdom. And we are his, like, we're more than servants because Jesus says when we're living for him, we're also his friends because we know his business, whereas a servant doesn't know his master's business. So we're not just servants, but there is an aspect of us serving the king. And so I, I really like that. I think that's really, really helpful. The other thing you said is, do we have unfair expectations? And I think um, authentic faith is asking the question, like, does God promise this? does God actually promise this? And I think sometimes people are upset with God for something he never promised. And exactly what you touched on there. Does God ever say you won't go through hard times? No, no. He says the exact opposite to that. Jesus says like in this world that you will have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. So the beauty of the promise is all the trouble you're going through, like you've already touched on Jade, there there is an ultimate hope at the end of it. Um, And sometimes in the midst of it too, But at the same time, the first promise there is in this world, you will have trouble. So when people say, how does a loving God allow suffering and things where, okay, how he does it or why he does it can be a difficult thing, but maybe to get our heads around. But he himself is really upfront about that. We will have trouble. And last thing I just want to say before we ask you a few more questions about your story, Jade, is we tend to have a real um, binary view of suffering like it is either like and it is bad like and and in fact we have a binary view of everything it is either good or it is bad and suffering falls into that bad camp but actually the hope we have in Jesus was because of his suffering like without the suffering of the cross we we're still living under like the the virus that spread throughout the entire world and there's no one who's come to to counter that malware (laughs) there's no one who's come to put that right again like through jesus's suffering and being willing to pay our price uh, on the cross that suffering brings about something beautiful and and i love that you you ended your what you said then by saying that's something beautiful about that and something redeeming i think that's amazing yeah and i think as well suffering like produces humility and right. I think it gives you like a really a right perspective mm. of like you don't think you're better than what you are yeah. kind of thing, and you don't think you're as self sufficient as you hoped you were. Like, yeah, but that actually like we're not as independent as we would like to be, and and actually God hasn't designed us to be independent. God's designed Brilliant. us to live in community, Brilliant. and to the beauty of community is not just to share in the joy and the fun and mm. and the good times, but it's also to share in the in the bad times and the sorrow and mm. and the vulnerability and and all of that. And I've definitely through my experience of being paralyzed, I've had to. I almost haven't had a choice, but I've had to. Um, kind of share my vulnerability with people but Mm. through that I've like I have the most beautiful like friendships and and community well tell us a little bit tell us a little bit about that then tell us about the community and tell us how the church community made a difference yeah even from a practical point of view I mean they were really there for my family when I first became paralyzed you know they were cooking meals they Mm. were like visiting me I had visitors every single day when I was in hospital like um I just just everything and anything we needed we had this whole like community of people behind us um and yeah just uh growing up in that community as well as part of the church um just gave me the confidence to like I don't know be out there in the world again and obviously I've mentioned the practical side but Mm. also the support that I felt from the spiritual side as well has been equally as important and I know when I've gone through really traumatic experiences in my life and things that knowing that there's all these people praying for me Mm. um and obviously we do an episode on prayer so if people Mm. are more interested in that they can listen to that but um 
I know that it's been a big source of comfort knowing that all these people care, all these people are praying, yeah, we, particularly for my surgery. Well, you've gone through what people don't always realise is like, it's not just the moment you become paralysed, but there's also all the complications that spring kind of from that moment. Yeah, so I got scoliosis, which is curvature of the spine um, when I was a teenager because of my paralysis, which resulted in me having two surgeries within one week mm. um one surgery was 11 hours one surgery was seven wow. um and that was literally like they had to open me up collapse my lung like remove Flip. bone put rods and pins from the top of my neck down to my pelvis um i nearly bled out in one of those surgeries um mm. so uh, you know that was quite scary for my parents but so- yeah. So not simple surgeries then? No, 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 very serious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do anything by halves. But, 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 but yeah. also the kind of surgeries where prayer cover was probably a massive comfort. Not only does prayer change things, yeah. as you've mentioned, yeah. that we say in that episode, but secondly, the comfort you feel knowing you've got a community yeah. around you that love you enough yeah. to not just provide for you practically. Some people think, oh, it's all very well. When there's big global crisis and people mm. put on Twitter thoughts and prayers and then mm. atheists will mock that of like, oh well I'm actually going to give money I'm actually going to do something practical like what you found as a Christian is not only did you have that spiritual support of prayer yeah. but you also had the practical stuff yeah and so that is that that yeah that is amazing and I think like people don't realize it's like not just for me but for my family like I was unconscious unconscious during the mm. surgeries but my parents were waiting for yeah. you know for one of them it was like 11 hours mm. and they, they knew it was a very serious surgery and so they were getting constant uh, um texts off yeah. people going how's Jade doing we're praying is there anything because yeah. they'd give my parents updates during the surgery okay this is what's happening now yeah. so they'd get a bad update of she's bleeding out we're struggling to you know give her enough blood at the moment so then my my mum and dad would just send that out on a text of please pray for this and then they would get all these texts back from all these people going we're praying for that right now that's great and and it's yeah i remember even when you had your cesareans and things and i was waiting for not very long actually with elijah but for arily over an hour i think before when you went into when i saw her I was really nervous, like, mm. and things you're worried, I'm worried about you as my wife, I'm worried about my little girl as my child, like, but that was probably, like I say, 90 minutes maybe, 70, 80 minutes, like, yeah. 11 hours is such a long time yeah. to be worried about your little girl, um, and just to be kind of on your own, I guess, so the community yeah. aspect of church is has been a game changer for you. Oh, definitely. Light bulb. Excellent, Jade. Well, I know I'm your husband, but I still want to thank you for sharing what you've shared because I think, like, I know it's vulnerable for you. I know we've spoken about you writing a book, and sometimes mm-hmm. you've been like, "Oh, I don't really want to." Not because <laughs> yeah. you don't know that. Not because you're insecure about whether your story is book worthy, because I think, uh, I think it clearly is. But because it can be hard to go through all your emotions and dredge up some of this stuff. So thanks very much for sharing it. Oh, with no everyone. problem. I've actually I found it quite cathartic. Oh, good. <laughs> um, but to end with some listener questions um, some of you guys submit some questions on Instagram uh, and um, here's a great one uh, have you two so me and you have, mm-hmm. have you ever had a wheelchair race and how much did Jade win by <laughs> well actually surprisingly we've we not had one have we no well we haven't had two wheelchairs at the same time no um, so, but I have had a wheelchair race with my mum in a hospital once because we were in a we were in a spinal unit so there was loads of spare wheelchairs just around you know so she decided <laughs> to get in one that's so your mum uh, so my mum and we we were a bit bored so we were like hey no let's have a race so we went into the main hospital bit and obviously I was beating her by quite a lot but obviously other people around didn't realize my mum wasn't an actual wheelchair user so I'll always remember I'm way ahead of her and this old lady approaches my mum and just says don't worry dear um, I'm sure you'll beat her one of these days and then my mum without thinking just went oh it's all right I can walk and her mum's face just was so funny like she was a fraud in the yes, spinal unit yeah. <laughs> yeah so that was quite funny nice yeah we haven't but if we if we do oh i um, would win I'll, I'll let you know how much i thrash her by oh. um here's another great one uh channel four talk about the paralympians as superhuman mm. do you think that's good terminology or is it even offensive is that helpful is it offensive personally i can only speak on behalf of myself not the entire disabled community <laughs> um but i don't think it's offensive um but I think it could be problematic because I think when you say someone is superhuman 
it almost I know they're saying basically what they're saying is wow they've had to overcome so much that the fact that they're achieving this it almost makes them superhuman because mm. the strength it takes to so I do get what they're saying but it also can, also can give the illusion of otherness like yeah. oh you're superhuman like I know it's not like subhuman but it's like you're a different category to everyone else and actually I think as disabled people we're trying to break down those barriers and those mm. walls to go we're not different yeah we we have some different experiences in life yeah. that which but everyone does but everyone does <laughs> and we're just we're just like you like the same training that uh that uh um an, that an Olympian. Olympian has to put in is the same amount that a Paralympian has to put in mm. as in it may look slightly different but it's like we're not we're not vastly different yeah. and so I just feel like I just think it can be it's it's almost like with the NHS and with COVID you know when everyone was going they're heroes and all the mm. um you know all the nurses were going we kind of don't like being called that yeah. because we're normal people and actually we're finding this hard yeah exactly like we're not superhuman we're not these when, he- heroes with capes on yeah this, definitely you, you imagining doing our jobs that's exactly how we feel right now <laughs> yeah. like we're not finding it any easier <laughs> and so I just think that that kind of terminology can be problematic yeah at times that's great that's brilliant jade and finally um as a community and a society that want to break down the barrier of disability how do you think we can best do this yeah i think first of all listen to disabled people Mm. don't assume for them um uh, and 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 follow their lead you know treat Mm. them normally a lot of people are a bit like oh I don't know what to say or feel a bit awkward around people with disabilities because I don't want to offend and it's like no ask them the same questions you would ask an able-bodied person like of you know if you say to you know you might want to substitute some words so if you had a nice walk today you might go have you been out out?" you know (laughs) you don't have to you know but but just just go follow their lead and mm. and if you would joke with able-bodied people joke with disabled people like and mm. but obviously follow the lead of the person mm. um and i think like obviously at the moment we've we've got a, well you've got a tiktok account and i feature on that <laughs> um, um so follow if you want to see that but um it's just been really interesting because we've had a few viral videos now Mm. and one of them was surrounding my disability and Mm. and is a bit of a joke is just lighthearted but it was so interesting seeing some people get offended on my behalf yeah and actually that really annoyed me because Mm. I have a sense of humor I I want to joke about my disability um, I know a lot of people with disabilities who like to joke about it. Yeah. And so... And in fact, the comments on TikTok f- from... We've probably got 50... So this video had it's over, had, had over 15 million views now. And mm. We've had about 50 comments from people, other wheelchair users, disabled yeah. people, always saying, this is hilarious, love this so much. And it's really interesting that people... Lots of people have been saying, I'm so going to hell for laughing at this, etc. Yeah. And I think the problem with that is maybe it stems from not understanding the humour, but maybe it stems from the fact that they're laughing for the wrong reasons or maybe it stems mm. from the fact that they feel like, that they, they kind of patronise you of like, oh my goodness, I'm like laughing could, at the oh, yeah. poor girl. And so yes. it's like, but you're in on the joke. Yeah. You've got a good sense yeah. of humour. And so... And I want you to laugh. Definitely. That's why I'm making the joke. And I th- so one of the things I think we use a lot and you use a lot and mm. lots of disabled people use a lot because I think it's a normaliser is just self-deprecating humour yeah. in the same way that we would do that with anything. When there's an elephant in the room and things, sometimes it's easier to call it out than have people tiptoe around it. Yeah. And so if you make a joke around something that might make people uncomfortable, it makes everyone feel more comfortable about it. And then suddenly either they can just move on from that without being sort of super paranoid or they can actually talk about it in an open way and ask you questions even. And I think if you're unsure as well about a logistic issue or a practical issue, just mm. ask the person, you know, if you want to be inclusive and, and you're doing something and you want to invite someone along who has a disability and just ask them, we're doing this. Is there anything in particular that we need to bear in mind for you? Yeah. Um, and they'll be happy to share with you and whether they can or can't do something or what mm. needs to be done so they can be included. So, don't be awkward about asking um because as long as you're respectful there's there's never going to be an issue in fact they'll be really like pleased that you've thought about them Mm. so uh light bulb 
Great. So thank you so much for your listener questions. We're going to do Worship of the Week in a second, and Jade's going to let you know a worship song that you can check out over on YouTube or Spotify. Um, But before we do, if you've got any other questions, feel free to message us on um, TikTok. Just comment on one of the videos that I've put up. Uh, So find us at John E.J. Reynolds. And we've got a whole playlist on TikTok answering your questions um, all around disability, paralysis, being an interabled couple so we've got questions like how did you explain disability to your children or what's it like for your children to have a a mum in a wheelchair Uh, what about physical intimacy and disability what about jay's experience of pregnancy and childbirth Um, navigating services and places as an interabled family so if you've got any other questions one of the ones i really loved um, is how do i get people to see past my disability and see me and so we shared a thoughtful answer on that to just encourage other people who are disabled to recognize that they're just loved and valued and they can be integrated into society just like anybody else um so thanks so much for listening we're going to end as we always do with worship of the week and jade could you pick a worship song for us yeah so i had a little think and i do you know i thought i'm gonna go old school Mm. with my choice and it's gonna shine jesus shine (laughs) it's gonna be mary mary shackles okay so a song that was in the charts actually yeah and i did a dance routine to that before i was paralyzed (laughs) i went to a christian summer camp and as they had a talent show on the fourth night and i did a dance routine to that song so it's a lot of happy memories um and yeah just have a little dance around a little sing and yeah that's my song for worship of the week excellent so check it out spotify apple music wherever you get your wherever you listen to worship music and if you don't listen to worship music check it out because we really think that worship connects us to the heart of god and is transformative for us and gives us peace and uh, belonging so thank you so much for listening guys have a great week and we're really looking forward to some upcoming episodes uh, with one in fact with simon thomas which is going to be really really yeah, exciting coming up soon so ex blue peter presenter and current sports presenter um he'll be sharing about how how uh, he as a Christian dealt with grief. So stay tuned and subscribe to us to, to listen to that one soon. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great week. God bless. Bye, guys. What you just said? Thank you for listening to my mummy and daddy. Thank you for listening to, to my mummy and daddy. See you soon. Welcome to Bring the Light.